This episode of the OrthoBullets podcast will go over the topic of hip biomechanics from the recon section on orthobullets.com. We'll start this review by talking about some joint biomechanics definitions. Joint reaction force is defined as the force generated within a joint in responses to forces acting on the joint. In the hip, it is the result of the need to balance the moment arms of the body weight and abductor tension, and the joint reaction force in the hip maintains a level pelvis. Again, in the hip, the joint reaction force is the result of the need to balance the moment arms of the body weight and the abductor tension. And remember that the joint reaction force maintains a level pelvis. Coupled forces are when two movements and associated forces are coupled. Joint congruence relates to fit of two articular surfaces. High congruence increases joint contact area. Instant center of rotation is the point about which a joint rotates, and this often changes during rotation due to joint translation. And keep in mind that the center of gravity of a human is just anterior to S2. Again, the center of gravity of a human is just anterior to S2. With respect to friction and lubrication, this is not a function of contact area. Lubrication decreases friction, and as far as some examples, the coefficient of friction of a human joint is 0.002 to 0.04. Again, the coefficient of friction of a human joint is 0.002 to 0.04. The coefficient of friction of a total joint arthroplasty, specifically metal on polyethylene, is 0.05 to 0.15. Now let's talk about some free body analysis definitions. We'll first briefly cover Newton's laws. Newton's first law is that if there is no net force on an object, its velocity remains constant. Newton's second law is that force equals the mass multiplied by acceleration, or F equals ma. And Newton's third law is that when a first body exerts a force on a second body, the second body exerts a force that is equal in magnitude and opposite in direction on the first body. So F2 equals negative F1. The definition of force is a push or a pull on an object resulting from the object's interaction with another object. The equation of force is force equals mass times acceleration, or F equals ma. Keep in mind that 1 newton equals the force required to give 1 kilogram of mass an acceleration of 1 meter per second squared. A vector is defined as a quantity that contains both direction and magnitude. Scalar quantities, on the other hand, do not have direction. Keep in mind that forces and velocity can be broken down into vectors. Moment, or a torque, is defined as the tendency of a force to rotate a body around an axis. The equation of moment or torque equals the perpendicular force times the distance. Work is defined as when a force acts upon an object to create displacement. The equation is work equals force, specifically the vector parallel to displacement, times distance. Energy is defined as the ability of an object to perform work. The classification of energy can be potential energy or kinetic energy. The equation of potential energy is U or potential energy equals mass times gravity times height. Again, U or potential energy equals mass times gravity times height. The equation for kinetic energy is Ke or kinetic energy equals one-half mass times velocity squared. Again, kinetic energy or Ke equals one-half mass times velocity squared. Now let's briefly talk about a hip free body analysis 
This is definitely something that you'll want to look at visually on orthobullets.com, but try to imagine a free body analysis diagram, and let's go over the basic components. So in a free body analysis diagram, W will equal the gravitational force and is the weight of the body minus the weight of the ipsilateral extremity, or 5 sixths the body weight. M will equal the abductor muscle force, and R equals the joint reaction force, which can reach 3 to 6 times body weight. So if you want to solve for joint reaction force R, step 1 is to calculate the M sub Y, which is the abductor muscle force in the Y axis, and the principle to understand is the sum of all moments equals 0. So in this case, the moments are created by M sub Y and W, and the equation is A times M sub Y plus B times W equals 0, where A is the abductor moment arm and B is the moment arm of the body weight. So if we assume A equals 5 centimeters and B equals 12.5 centimeters, and keep in mind this information will be given to you on an exam, so with this, M sub Y equals 12.5 W over 5 centimeters, which equals 2.5 W. Step 2 is to calculate R sub Y, where R is the joint reaction force in the Y axis, which equals M sub Y plus W. And since we already solved for M sub Y and know that it's 2.5 W, R sub Y equals 2.5 W plus W, which equals 3.5 W, so R sub Y equals 3.5 W. Step 3 will be to calculate R, where R equals R sub Y over the cosine of 30 degrees. And to refresh your trigonometry knowledge, cosine 30 is the square root of 3 over 2. And since we already calculated R sub Y in step 2 and know that it's 3.5 W, the joint reaction force R will equal 3.5 W divided by the cosine of 30 or the square root of 3 over 2, and therefore the joint reaction force R will equal approximately 4 W. Again, please review this topic on orthobullets.com as this will be much easier to understand visually. Finally, let's talk about some clinical implications of hip biomechanics. So actions that decrease joint reaction force include an increase in the ratio of A over B or a shift in the center of rotation medially. So on the acetabular side, an increase in the ratio of A over B or a shift in the center of rotation medially will manifest as moving the acetabular component medially, inferiorly, and anteriorly. Again, decreasing the joint reaction force on the acetabular side would be done by moving the acetabular component medially, inferiorly, and anteriorly. On the femoral side, actions that decrease joint reaction force include increasing the offset of the femoral component, using a long stem prosthesis, lateralization of the greater trochanter by using an increased offset neck slash prosthesis, and finally, a varus neck shaft angulation, which increases the shear across the joint. Another action that can decrease the joint reaction force includes the patient gait, specifically shifting the body weight over the affected hip, which results in a Trendelenburg gait. A cane in the contralateral hand is another action that may decrease the joint reaction force with respect to a patient's gait, and this specifically reduces the abductor muscle pull and decreases the moment arm between the center of gravity and the femoral head. Again, a cane in the contralateral hand will reduce the abductor muscle pull and decreases the moment arm between the center of gravity and the femoral head. Finally, carrying load in the ipsilateral hand will produce additional downward moment on the same side of the rotational point.
Actions that increase the joint reaction force include a valgus neck shaft angulation, which decreases shear across the joint. Okay, so now that we've gone over the major points about this topic, let's go over a few questions to apply the information and get a sense of how this topic has been tested on past exams. The first question reads, A cane held in the contralateral hand reduces joint reactive forces through the affected hip approximately 50% by which of the following mechanisms? And the choices are 1. Reducing hip abductor muscle pull. 2. Increasing hip flexor muscle pull. 3. Moving the center of rotation for the femoral acetabular joint. 4. Increasing joint congruence at the femoral acetabular joint. And 5. Moving the center of gravity posterior to the second sacral vertebra. The correct answer to this question is 1. Reducing hip abductor muscle pull. So a cane held in the contralateral hand reduces joint reactive forces through the affected hip up to 50% by reducing abductor muscle pull. To quickly review, a cane creates an additional force that keeps the pelvis level in the face of gravity's tendency to adduct the hip during unilateral stance. The cane's force must substitute for the hip abductors of the affected hip and creates a moment arm that is relatively long and originates on the side opposite the hip, whose abductor muscles are weak. Additionally, the person needs adequate strength in the muscles of the wrist, elbow, shoulder girdle, and trunk. Brand and Crowninshield performed a three-dimensional hip joint reactive force evaluation of four different groups of patients. The groups included normal subjects, preoperative total hip arthroplasty subjects walking without a cane, preoperative total hip arthroplasty subjects walking with a cane, and subjects following total hip reconstruction. Each of the three groups evaluated without the cane had statistically similar joint reactive forces. The preoperative total hip arthroplasty subjects walking with a cane had significantly lower joint reactive forces at approximately 60%. The article by Blount was named by JBJS as a classics in JBJS in 2003. It is a commentary encouraging the use of canes by describing how the biomechanics of the hip joint are altered while using a cane. Moving on to the next question. The hip joint allows motion in different anatomic planes. How many degrees of freedom does the hip joint provide and in which anatomic planes? And the choices are 1. 2 degrees of freedom in compression and tension. 2. 2 degrees of freedom in flexion and extension, 3, 3 degrees of freedom in flexion, extension, abduction, adduction, and axial rotation, 4, 3 degrees of freedom in anterior-posterior translation, medial lateral translation, and axial motion, and 5, 6 degrees of freedom in flexion, extension, abduction, adduction, axial rotation, anterior-posterior translation, medial lateral translation, and axial motion. The correct answer to this question is 3, 3 degrees of freedom in flexion extension, abduction, adduction, and axial rotation. So degrees of freedom of a joint are the set of independent rotations and displacements that the joint allows. The hip is a ball-on-socket joint and as such allows all rotations but completely resists or constrains all translations. In anatomic terms, the hip joint provides 3 degrees of freedom, flexion extension, that is rotation in the sagittal plane, abduction, adduction, that is rotation in the frontal plane, and axial rotation, that is rotation in the transverse plane. Moving on to the next question. In patients with a Trendelenburg gait, which of the following gait patterns is exhibited? 
and the choices are one, the pelvis on the swing side drops, causing increased adduction of the affected hip during the stance phase, two, the pelvis on the swing side drops, causing decreased adduction of the affected hip during the stance phase, three, the pelvis on the swing side elevates, causing increased adduction of the affected hip during the stance phase, four, the pelvis on the stance side elevates, causing decreased adduction of the affected hip during the stance phase, and five, the pelvis on the swing side remains neutral, but there is circumduction of the affected hip. The correct answer to this question is one, the pelvis on the swing side drops, causing increased adduction of the affected hip during the stance phase. So at the hip, one of the most common abnormal kinematic patterns is the Trendelenburg gait pattern that occurs in patients with weakened hip abductors. The pelvis on the swing phase of gait drops, and this leads to increased adduction of the affected hip during the stance phase. Patients with weakened hip abductors should hold a cane in their contralateral hand to assist with support of the pelvis during this phase of gait. In the absence of a cane, patients will often lean their torso toward the affected side. This shifts the center of gravity closer to the affected hip, decreasing the moment arm force required by the hip abductors. And moving on to the final question, patients display a Trendelenburg gait to compensate for weakness in which of the following muscle groups? And the choices are one, hip adductors, two, hip abductors, three, hip flexors, four, knee extensors, and five, hip extensors. The correct answer to this question is two, hip abductors. So in the stance phase of gait in the hip of a normal hip individual, the hip joint force is produced by the body weight times its moment arm, that is the distance from the center of gravity of the body to the hip joint, which is balanced by the force exerted by the abductors. However, in individuals with hip joint problems, functional adaptations take place to reduce stimulus such as pain, muscle weakness, or instability. Trendelenburg gait is one adaptation where avoidance of stress on the hip abductor muscles is achieved by shifting the body weight over the center of the hip joint, effectively decreasing the moment arm and requiring proportionally less effort from the abductors. Therefore, a patient with a Trendelenburg lurch are effectively decreasing the hip joint forces as a method of adaptation. That's all for this review about hip biomechanics. Hopefully that was helpful. This is the OrthoBullets podcast, a daily audio review session by OrthoBullets, the free learning and collaboration community for orthopedic surgery education. Keep in mind that these podcasts are designed to go along with the topics on orthobullets.com, and in fact, you can listen to these episodes right on the OrthoBullets website while going through the topic. If you've gotten any value from the OrthoBullets podcast so far, please consider leaving us a five-star rating and writing us a review on Apple Podcasts. It will help us spread the word and increase our discoverability tremendously. Thanks so much, and we'll see you all tomorrow.